Welcome to Acute Conversations, the official podcast of APTA Acute Care, where we share engaging conversations about acute care physical therapy so you can connect to your profession. I'm Ashley. And I'm Leo. Today we chat with Morgan Lopker and Rodalyn Burden from the APTA Acute Care Practice Committee. We discuss the new lab value guide and other resources from the committee. And their passion for horses and opera. Welcome, Morgan and Rodalyn. All right, welcome today for Acute Conversations. We have the chair and the vice chair of our practice committee through APTA Acute Care. So let me introduce our chair, Morgan Lopker, and our vice chair, Rodalyn Berdin. Thank you so much for joining us today, hanging out with us, and looking forward to a great conversation today. Yeah, we really appreciate you all joining us. We've been excited to have you on. So, I mean, obviously we want to hear about what's going on in the practice committee. So can you kind of just give us an update or a precursor to like what's new, what has just come out that our listeners might maybe should know about? Well, hello everyone. And thanks Leo and Ashley for for having us today. We're excited to be here and share some information from the practice committee. One of the exciting things that we're very proud of as a committee is the newly released and updated lab values interpretation resource. That's been going on a project for our committee in collaboration with the Academy of Pediatrics as well to really expand this resource to be a resource for across the lifespan as well as across acute care settings. So if you've not done so already, please go to the website and download, download this as well as our point of care document. So I want to back up just a second. So practice committee, I just thought about it. just in case people don't know, like what is the practice committee? What are like, what's your mission? What's the goal? So the practice committee is a group of APT acute care members that are really looking at how advanced practice and best serve our patients and support the highest level of evidence as well. So some of it's taking the current research and all the journal articles that we see and, you know, often spend a lot of time reading, how do we translate that into practice and make tangible resources for individuals as well as help to answer clinical questions that people may have from both the academic and clinical side. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I know you all have put out some great stuff like the lab value guide, the vital sign guide. So Rodalyn, how about like the a first one was about adults only, right? And you said this one also includes Pete's. What else is different about this one that we can expect to see about this lab value guide? Oh, yes, of course, it is expanded. And also we also put some additions like the definition of the possible critical values that may assist us clinicians in clinical decision-making. And we also pointed out, you know, the importance of interprofessional collaboration regarding the potential risk versus benefit of mobility and exercises in patients with concerning trends in the lab values. And I think uh, we also have to also deeper in the cultural competence section, as well as the race and ethnicity considerations, as well as the sex and gender considerations too. That's great. You know, what's what I think is really cool is that some of the different places that I work or, you know, if I'm doing site visits, you are changing actual the way therapists practice. The other day I was at work and somebody had referred to a continuing ed course. And at the end of that course, it was just a binder. Sure enough, part of that continuing ed course, they had included the lab values guidelines for, for clinicians. So there's that. And then sometimes I'll walk by a therapist, a acute care therapist's desk. And sure enough, they've got their either on their desktop 
they have it as a PDF saved, so they utilize it, or it's hanging pinned onto their corkboard that's behind their desk. So definitely, it's it's changing the practice. And let me ask that for for the two of you, how you not only participating as as the the chair and the vice chair of practice, what has been some changes in your own practice? because of your participation in this committee? I think one of the things specific to the work that's been done from the lab values as well as the vital sign guideline is not just looking at one specific number or value and really remembering to consider all of the factors and look at a symptoms-based approach or a kind of a scale or teeter-totter of what, you know, weighing the risk and benefits of things as to best help our patients. And I found this in my own practice, as well as educating other colleagues or having students, like trying to really teach that critical thinking aspect. And I feel like having these resources has helped with that to try to kind of give some figures and information to make those decisions based on. Oh my gosh. And I use that guide all the time. Like I used it in my practice. When I was a residency mentor, I would always pull it out and be like, here, take this around with you. Use this with students. It's fantastic. Now I use it in the classroom. So it's really getting a lot of use. But I also know like not everyone's aware that it exists. So Mm. correct me if I'm wrong, but for non-members, they can also access the guide. But to get the point of care document, you have to be a member to get it for free or you can pay a small fee. Is that right? Yes, around like $15. Okay, yeah, that's not bad at all. Yeah, so it's, it's well, a the, the complete guide is a resource is open to everyone, and we really encourage people to download it, share it, you know, spread the word to their colleagues. And the point of care document is a, a member benefit and then a nominal $15 fee for non members. And the, the most updated one's 2021, right? Because sometimes if you Google it, you might get the 2017 or the 2019, but is it 2021 or 2022? What's the latest date on it? 2020. 2022. Okay, that's good to know. That's good to know. Well, what what else is the practice committee up to right now other than lab values? So well, one, a couple of other things I guess related to lab values, just to highlight while we're on that topic, is that we will be updating the competencies related to that as well. So the understanding that the current competencies refer to the 2017 lab I resource. So that in essence is a little bit outdated at this point, certainly helpful information, but it doesn't relate to the most current guide. So now that the resource is available, we will be updating the competencies as well. And then also I'd like to highlight that we anticipate a webinar related to the lab values guideline, hopefully in May. Our first week or that June. Yeah, that's fantastic. I bet you'll get a lot of attendance at that one. <laughs> people that, yeah, people that have questions. Yeah, and it'll be a great opportunity for the leaders of that work to kind of share some additional details and thoughts and share some of the clinical reasoning and examples as well. I just want to share my, my experience of being part of the practice committee that between Morgan and Rodolin, you you also helped kind of with all this organization, but there's a lot of like big brains <laughs> in the practice committee. And what's what's so awesome is that there are people that are that are, are well known, that are well published, that are the, at the forefront of the research within our field, and you're working on projects with them, right? And you're emailing them, and you're having these conversations. Could you talk a little bit about you know, a big thing that a lot of them mention is this whole idea of symptoms-based approach? Now, let's say as an early clinician and as a student, I remember, for example, let's take hemoglobin. Hemoglobin, the patient, I look at the chart, it's seven point nine. And it was like, 
pump the brakes. They're 7.9. I haven't even looked at the patient. I just know that from the chart, it's 7.9. And I remember documenting, please, I, I'm just being honest here, unable to be seen because of low hemoglobin. Now, again, this is 10 years ago. This is outdated practice. Could you talk a little bit about this whole concept of what a symptoms-based approach is? Well, for me, it's like, you know, just don't rely on those numbers. You need to look at the whole clinical picture and you have to go and still check on the patient. Is the patient, you know, although it's the hemoglobin is four, maybe the patient has like a cancer that could, the reason why the, the hemoglobin is slow. So for me, it's just like give the patient a chance, make sure that you go into the room and then check on the patient and see, you know, what the, the patient can do. It's just like not giving them the benefit of the doubt or the benefits of mobility. So for me, that, that's really important. And I, I think part of it too, to tag on what Rodalyn's saying too, is it's also highlighting the importance of monitoring vital signs with these patients. So not just assuming, okay, we need to get every patient up and moving and you know not pay attention to these numbers at all, but correlate the lab values with any anticipated signs or symptoms that you may see that would be correlated with those lab values as well as the symptoms. So is the hemoglobin five and the orthostatic and dizzy don't tolerate sitting at the edge of the bed. Well, we may not want to continue to progress and walk them down the hall, but if all the vitals remain stable, that may be a reason to, to proceed as well. So it's just highlighting using all the information that we can to give the patient the best possible treatment. Yeah. And, and it also awesome. elevates the level of our practice too, right? Yes. Because we're able to make more informed evidence-based clinical decisions as a result. So yeah, kudos to you all on that. Congrats for getting that out. I know it was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it, as Leo highlighted too, it, it has been really a pleasure and an honor to be able to collaborate with so many different experts in our field to release these resources as well. And we certainly wouldn't be able to have the quality and the level of expertise within these guidelines if it wasn't for the willingness of all of our committee members to come together. Yeah, so you all are working with all these amazing people on practice committee. And I'm sure some people are out there like, well, how can I get involved? How can I work with all these amazing people? So if somebody's listening and is like, hey, I want to help with some of these guides or competencies or just some of these resources, period, or I have an idea that I would love for them to do, how can they reach out? How can they get involved? So they can reach out to us directly through the new and updated Academy website. We're both on their under practice committee, or they can reach out through the engage site or system there as well and request to volunteer or be a part of the practice committee. And then we can give them the information and what kind of is anticipated as a member of our committee. So I think one of the really nice things is the way that our committee is laid out. We do take all kind of intermittent projects. So, and they kind of fluctuate throughout the year. So it's not like, oh, I'm committing to, you know, 20 hours a week of every, you know, 20 hours of work a week, every week. It's, I'm going to work on this project. Okay. For the next six months, maybe, you know, if it's a long-term project, it might be longer than that, but you can commit to the time that you have. And also because we do end up with projects in various different areas, people can really find what their expertise is as well and ability to contribute their knowledge. That's great. Now, you know, I, I would like you to share your story because I think you both have a great story of 
how you got into the practice community because I know there are people that are out there within our within our audience that don't know where to start or they might feel a little bit intimidated about just cold calling or cold emailing. I would like to kind of help out, but I also feel for a for students or new grads. I mean, I think Morgan, you've got a great story of how where you started and now you're the chair of the practice committee. And I think it was at, was it at CSM or I think you stopped by the booth, yeah, right? So, no, so I was about two and a half years out of school. I'd been to CSM. I'd met a few different people. I was kind of looking for what's my next, you know, step, my next career move. How do I get more involved professionally and have kind of that fulfillment in, in addition to my you know day-to-day patient care. So I actually sent, sent an email through the website and got quite a nice email back from the co-chair at that point, James Tompkins, who kind of invited me, engaged me to join. And I kind of felt like, well, okay, I guess I'll join for the quarterly meeting. I don't think I'm going to say very much, but I'll at least, you know, join and listen in. And I was just very impressed by the conversations and the level of passion and expertise by the committee members. So I kind of kept joining the committee, quarterly committee meetings at that point, and then volunteered to joined a couple of the subcommittees, got involved with the lab values competencies, and from there ended up stepping into the vice chair position as Tracy Norris was the chair at that point and worked with her alongside her the last couple of years. And then she transitioned from practice committee actually down to our academy president. And at that point, I stepped into the chair position to fill out her last two years of her term. And then just recently this year, took on another three-year, was kindly elected for another three-year term as a practice chair. That's a great story. And Rodan, how did you get involved? Well, my story is a little bit different. Well, I've been a clinician for a while. I got my Bachelor of Science degree in physical therapy in 1997 and got my transitional DPT here in the United States in 2009. So while I started being active in our local Texas Physical Therapy Association, for probably like three or four years. Then after that, I said that, oh, I think I would like to get more involved at the national level. So I put my information at the Engage, and then I put acute care as one of my interests because I was working, I'm working in an acute care setting. And then I'm kind of like surprised and very happy when Tracy sent me an email and inviting me to join the practice committee and they put their information, traces from Barnes Jewish, which is a very good hospital, and also James Tompkins from Mayo. So I get very excited. I told my manager, and my manager encouraged me, well, go for it. So that's how it all started. Then I'm only with practice committee for a year. And then I remember it was January 1st. I got a letter or an invitation from Morgan Locker <laughs> inviting me asking me if I would like to get more involved so I thought I just oh, okay maybe I just there's another project and then all of a sudden Tracy and Morgan we had a meeting and then Tracy offered me to become the vice chair so I said wow vice chair <laughs> so of course it's an opportunity and I'm gonna work with you know expert in the field so I grabbed that chance and opportunity so here I am that's great. That's, We're glad you're here. <laughs> I know. That's really good. I love hearing people's stories of kind of how they got where they are. And like, and usually it's not this like one time thing. It's usually like a build or like you're networking and eventually these opportunities kind of open, which is really cool. And I also think it's important like to, for people to know, I think you give as much time as you can, right? Like 
if there's an opportunity that you're like, that is too much time, I cannot do that. You're not obligated. But if it's something you're like, okay, I'd be happy to help with this here and this here and just give what you can, right? Like we'll take it all. Like we love having our volunteers. <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's the thing is whether you're a leader of one of our committees or you are playing an important role as a reviewer of one of our resources or you're contributing to the critical edge mail submissions, helping with webinars. There's lots of different opportunities yeah. for people to highlight their strengths as well as the time commitment that they have available. Now, is this a critical edge fall under practice committee as well, or is that something separate? So it is a larger academy. It's our academy news newsletter, of course, and it's more of a larger academy commitment for that. But our committee has committed to at least submit one submission every edition of the, the Critical Edge Mail. And I think that as a committee, we probably supersede that thanks to Trisha Healy as our Critical Edge Mail coordinator for practice as well. And really the role of that is just to try to, whether it's highlighting CSM takeaways and giving kind of clinical pearls from the different CSM presentations and all the excellent information that's there or highlighting a new CPG that's been released or new evidence so that people can kind of delve deeper in, into that. And also the hot topics from our lists right here. So I, I pulled up just because I was curious while, while we were here and I pulled up the APTA Acute Care Practice Committee kind of resources. And in addition to the lab values, like I see amputation and limb difference, adult vital sign interpretation, there's core competencies for entry-level practice in acute care. I mean, there's just, there's so much here. And then you all even link to other like APTA re resources, which is really great. So I, I, I'm kind of curious, like what's next for you all? Like what's coming up in the future or what are you currently working on? So we have a few, a few different thoughts. And part of that's kind of been trying to field what the best needs are from the updated Academy strategic plan. Mm -hmm. One of the, the, ideas that came out of that is the idea of acute care across all settings, because we are seeing acutely ill patients, whether it's in the, what we think of as the acute care setting or the emergency department or urgent cares, the outpatient surgical center, and then even in the home health setting, your patient having patients go home from joint replacements, post-op day zero. Well, when that home health therapist is going out to see them, that patient is still pretty, pretty acute. So it's trying to think about how can we make these, make our resources and share our knowledge for all settings that clinicians are seeing patients with acute conditions. So that's kind of one of our, one of our thoughts there. And then also realizing that there are so many good resources available, you know, even within and outside of our committee and academy how can we make these resources available to clinicians? So trying to, to collaborate with the academy to take the idea of a clinician's toolbox as well and a way that people can easily locate and find references and resources that they may need. You know what I think is so fantastic with the practice committee is that if you have skills and talents, for example, if you like writing, Right. If you like taking information and then disseminate that information and, and write, you know, if writing is a skill that you have, we have a place for you. If you like things from the technical side, being one of the moderators for, for the webinars or working behind the scenes and and organizing that component, you know, there, there's a there's a place for that. If you want to go heavy in the literature and, and, and try to find resources and help collaborate 
with like, uh, again, like with vital signs and some of the other documents that we're doing, there's a place for you, right? So I think there's so many different opportunities. And again, I think the, the biggest benefit that I've had is just sharing a space with some of these fantastic minds within our, our profession and just hearing their stories and say, you know what, I think I can do that. But how did they get started? It's like, oh, wow. So it just started, it just started off with one email and all of a sudden it just starts to cascade Oh, I remember that person. I remember Rodalyn. Oh, I think she'd be a great person to kind of help out with this. And oh, wait, Rodalyn has skills with photography, and she's got skills with 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 laying things out in terms of the the customization of these documents. Oh, Rodalyn, help us out here. And so I think it's it's so wonderful to be able to to network and 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 be able to develop and utilize the skills and talents that people have. It's just trying to get into the into the right spot and getting the right connections. And hopefully, with this podcast. The word gets out that if you know, people with the skills and talents, we definitely want to optimize them as part of the practice committee. Well, and it also makes me wonder, like, you know, how did these resources get started, right? Like there's this lab value guide, there's this vital sign guide. Like, was that just somebody coming to you and saying, hey, this would be a really cool idea and you just ran with it? Or was it more of like an APTA acute care initiative that came from like the board? Like, how I'm just curious in practice committee, like how did these ideas kind of come to fruition and launch and just go from there? A lot of the ideas come from a larger board kind of vision and the strategic plan. And then some of it comes from just our discussions, whether it's discussions with the academy leadership or within our practice committee, people bringing ideas forward of, you know, within my clinical practice, I've noticed these things being be needed. And, you know, this would be very helpful for clinicians and would help to provide better patient care. And then some of it has been kind of cross academy collaboration as well. With the vital sign document, we collaborated with the Academy of Cardiovascular and Pulmonary Physical Therapy. And then for this update for the lab values with pediatrics. And then we did the care t- transitions with the home health section as well of, okay, you know, we see the patients within the hospital, they go home. And then these other, you know, these other specialists are seeing them at home, how do we help to bridge that gap? How do we make that transition as smooth as it can be? And how do we advocate for our role within those settings as well? So it's kind of happened from a different variety of different ways. And it's, it's just neat to see how things kind of transform. Morgan, I think you're an expert on this topic, aren't you? Didn't you, weren't you published in Jackpot about this transition from hospital to home and some of the, the challenges and Acute care is not necessarily a play in terms of the acuity. We did. We did along with a couple of our other acute care academy leadership and members, as well as those from from home health. We did publish something, I guess it was the end of last year. feels like it was a long time ago. But yeah, based on advocating for our role in acute care and in that transition, whether it's our the importance of PTs being involved in interdisciplinary rounds, whether it is the importance of our discharge recommendations and how we as clinicians can advocate for that. Because I think sometimes, especially for newer clinicians, it can be a challenge where it's like, well, I know what I should recommend or what I think is right, but how do I voice that to others within the interdisciplinary team? So trying to give them the tools and the resources they need to be able to better, better advocate. And that was something I remember that Jim Smith had pointed out in one of our discussions as well. That's great. Well, congratulations on your publication. That's very exciting. Thank you. So happy, happy yeah. to get the word out there and hopefully people will, will utilize it. 
No, it was a great article. I remember reading it. It was fantastic. Leo, this makes me think, do you remember at CSM when we were sitting, it was pretty late at night after the social and there was this conversation happening. I mean, it was like such an interesting discussion about like outcome measures and triage and EMRs mm -hmm. and how people prioritize patients. And I can just imagine a conversation like that turning into, oh, like maybe we should do something with this information and come up with some sort of resource about it. So I, I just think it's really cool the kind of stuff that you all put out. And now a quick message from APTA Acute Care. Do you know someone is making a difference within acute care physical therapy? Please check out APTA Acute Care's awards. We would like to recognize and illuminate the practice of more deserving colleagues and celebrate the great services they provide. To honor the various contributions, APTA Acute Care has five awards. The Mary Sinnott Award for Clinical Excellence in Acute Care. The James Dunleavy Distinguished Service Award. The Judy Euler Fellowship Award. The Lecture Award. And the Katherine Harris Educator Award. These awards are the highest honor APTA Acute Care can bestow in recognition of excellence and are awarded at CSM annually during the membership meeting. APTA Acute Care members and in some instances non-members, are encouraged to nominate deserving individuals to view the nomination forms and descriptions of award criteria. Please check out our show notes below. Nominations are accepted until October 30th, 2023. And now, back to the show. I bet our listeners probably want to know a little bit more about the two of you just personally. So briefly, I think Morgan, I think I read something about you being into horses and Rodolin, I think I read something about you really enjoying theater. So I'd love to hear just a smidgen of that before we do our rapid responses. Yeah, I did. I grew up riding, riding horse from the age of five till when I, I went to college, I rode, rode competitively. That was pretty much my, you know, every day out taking care of the horses and riding, training them. I really enjoyed taking the young horses and the challenge, training them and seeing how successful we could become as, as a team. So that was a lot of my passion growing up. And hopefully one of these days I can get, get back into it. That's so cool. <laughs> and Rodolin, what's your favorite show? Oh, wow. Well, I really can't sing and I can't dance, but yeah, my husband and I, we love to go symphonies, Broadway musicals and operas. Well, when it comes with my uh, opera, my favorite one is the Mozart's Magic Flute. I don't know if you heard about that. Yes. Uh -huh. Well, it's about, you know, love and enlightenment. And then actually recently, I think that was last weekend, my husband and I watched the Moulin Rouge touring here in Houston, the Broadway musical. That's really fun. I love theater too. So I'm right there with you on that one. <laughs> What's your favorite, Ashley? Oh gosh, favorite. I don't know that I have a favorite. I, I mean, I think Hamilton as of recent is fantastic. And I loved that one. But then there's just like some old classics I love, like Chicago and Cabaret. I mean, I could go on all day, so we don't want to go down that road. <laughs> I could go on all day. I think, Leo, are we ready for our rapid responses? Oh yeah, it's time for the rapid responses. We've got our questions lined up. And this is the first time we're doing rapid responses with two guests today, too. So we're going to get more, more answers. So, but we're just luck. Yeah. But it's going to be, you got to be fast. So, so, so quick with the questions or quick with the answers. I think, All right. I think I might give you like a little more time since there's two of you. We'll do like okay. you know two minutes. 
Okay. Yeah. And I think we can have like Morgan answer her rapid response, then Rodolin, you answer yours, and then we'll do the next question. How's that work? That will work for me. All right. Perfect. All right. All right. And go. Okay. What is your favorite book or TV show? One or the other? Well, that's that's a hard one. <laughs> or one of your one of your favorites. But I I would say Oh dear. Favorite TV show. Mm, I mean, I have to say the office always has some good funny humor to it. Okay, so <laughs> but, cool. uh, that's good if you just need a light lighthearted show at the end of the day. Cool. Rodolin? Well, my favorite TV show was The Homeland. Homeland. Okay. Very cool. All right. Awesome. Vanilla or chocolate? I'm going to go vanilla. Chocolate for me. All right. <laughs> Next question. Favorite way to exercise? I am definitely a yoga fan. Uh, I've definitely gotten into hot yoga in the last couple of couple of years. Running for me. Running? Yes. Very cool. Awesome. Are you a morning person or a night owl? I'm going to go the morning person. I'm a night owl. That's <laughs> <laughs> why we can be working on projects and I'm on the Pacific time, time zone and Rodolin is on central time zone. So evenings work out well that way. Get three for our conference. It worked out perfect. What's your most favorite outcome measure or one of your favorite outcome measure to use on a Q-Care? Morgan first. Well, working significantly with the stroke population, I have to say that I really like and appreciate the pass. Okay, cool. Postural assessment and stroke scale. Fantastic. You got it. Boston MPAC. Oh, yeah. Six clicks, baby. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're coming up on time. So we're going to do our last question. You know you work in acute care when, and finish the sentence. You have an extra change of clothes in your car because you never know what <laughs> might happen that day. Absolutely. Well, for me, I had to look at lab values and monitor vital signs continuously. <laughs> like we get nervous <laughs> if we can't see them, right? Right. I know. I always tell people when I have that... to go. Go ahead, Ashley. Oh, I was just going to say, I have. I tell people when I go off the telemetry floor and I don't have vitals anymore, I'm just like, what is going on? Like, I, this makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, if there's one thing that our listeners can learn from our podcast is have extra scrubs. <laughs> That's the <laughs> recurring theme throughout all of our episodes is like have extra scrubs ready. We should actually get sponsored by a scrub. We uh, really should. Uh, scrubs. We should. Right. And if you're new to acute care or you're a student in acute care, just take an extra pair. Trust yeah. us. You will need it at some point. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So Morgan and Rodolin, where can people find you? How can they contact you and how can they con or at least hear more about the practice committee? Well, I can't oh, yeah. say that I'm big on the social media side of side of things, but I am on LinkedIn and you can also reach us through the Academy website as well. I'm also on LinkedIn and I have a MedMastodon account. So Rodolin at MedMastodon.com. Actually, I still have tinnitus because Morgan Rodolin was yelling at me during CSM about getting a Mastodon account. And I'm like, I will, I will. And just, so I still have a little bit of ring in the ears. Thank, thank you, Rodolin, for reminding me about Starting my master. 
I think another thing we're learning is like a lot of PTs have LinkedIn accounts, but not necessarily as big on social media. And I'm sorry, but I have never heard of Mastodon. I'm just going to have to say it. I'm sorry. I don't know what that is. What is that, Rodalyn? <laughs> well, it's a, like a, it's a social networking service, but it's decentralized, unlike the Twitter. So I'm going to have to look into this. <laughs> Not a lot of physical therapists over there, so if you would like to connect with physical therapists around the globe, so that's the the area. Well, Well, thank you both for joining us today. All right, you can do that. All right. Thank you both. Bye. We would like to thank Morgan and Rodalyn for joining us today. Acute Conversations is the official podcast of APT Acute Care. It is hosted by Leo Argulis and Ashley Poole. Executive produced by Katie Brito and Edward Mathis. Music by Alexia Action from Pixabay. For more information about APT Acute Care, please go to our newly updated website, aptacutecare.org. And be sure to check out our show notes for links and resources from the Academy. If you found value from our podcast, Please be sure to subscribe, follow, and share with your friends and colleagues. Join us in two weeks for a conversation with the 2023 APT Acute Care Lecture Awardee, Alan Lee. Thank you for listening, and may your shoes and scrubs stay clean today. Welcome, Mortalin. Can I just say the last part again? Yeah. Mortalin. I combine their names. Combine they're they're Mortalin. I could just Mortalin. say that. So do you have to clap? No, All we're right. gonna use that last one for our B cut.